again everyone and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass podcast alongside Andy Bitter the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times I am Aaron McFarling sports columnist for the Roanoke Times and I'm back from vacation had a week in Atlantic City uh what's the tally give it to us <laughs> I did it pulled a Floyd you know Mayer. exactly what the numbers are tell us what it is the the exact tally is minus 350 at the end of the day um, and you were there how long I was there actually through midweek, so I went up on we went up on Sunday and we left on Thursday. Uh, That's five so days. The, it was Sunday night. It was like four nights. Four nights. Four nights. Three and a half. Three and a half days. I think we actually left Wednesday afternoon. But so you spent eighty, ninety bucks a day to be entertained for yeah, four I, days. I, you know, people say, well, that, that's a bad habit or whatever. But I mean, I, I would implore you to try to find a golf trip that costs less than three hundred fifty bucks for that long. That's a good point. Um, so, do you, are the drinks for free, or do you have to pay for those? The drinks are free. Yeah, oh, so you basically in the tally, the, oh, that's pretty good. Then. I'm including hotel, which was free. I'm including. Do you um, think you drank three hundred and fifty dollars oh, worth of alcohol oh on this trip? Oh my gosh, yes. And and of course, you you got to tip the waitresses, and I'm more than happy to do that. But uh, that comes out of your you know that comes out of your bankroll too. Uh, but yeah, I did pull a Floyd Mayweather and like tweet my first session, which was a plus one thousand. I mean, it was really hot. And uh, and then I end up basically using house money the rest of the week and losing it back. But uh, so you you didn't hear from me again. There was, there was a silence <laughs> on the Twitter. account. You were essentially like, look at this million dollar bet I won on this one game, and then you didn't tweet out the six times that you lost that kind of bet. That's right. But a lot has happened. Since. Well, people have to understand. For you, like a four day trip to Vegas is like a four day trip to Disneyland for a kid. Like right. you just enjoy. The atmosphere and everything. It's, it's not like, oh, I need to come out with a bunch of money to have enjoyed myself. You like, you just enjoy the action and the camaraderie at the tables and all that stuff. And, and the birthday trip is unique because I don't have anything else I have to do. I tell all of my bosses that I'm gone and please don't bother me. Anyway, I go on vacations with my family. And our bosses understand when Aaron is off on a gambling <clears throat> trip, do not bother him. Yeah, and it, it's you, the one bad thing is the pool was closed and they have like eight hot tub sessions uh located around their pool it's an outdoor pool it's an indoor pool okay but it's got a uh sort of a skylight sort of a greenhouse effect uh so it's really nice and warm and toasty and it feels like summer in there when you go uh in there and it was uh it was a little disappointing their pool was closed until march but other than that everything was great the food was good drinks were cold it was a fun trip and a lot happened in the interim i mean while we haven't met here in three weeks you did one with um uh, did one with Jason Stam right. two weeks ago, right before signing day, and then last week was just so busy with signing day and its aftermath that it was just impossible to get any kind of uh, podcast together. So we're we're back now. Uh, we'll catch up on some stuff here. Yeah. All right. Here's a rough outline of what we're looking at. We're going to talk briefly about the Super Bowl just because it's topical. Uh, Shane Graham and Michael Vick retirements. Signing day overview. Uh, the schedule has been released. We'll take a look at that real quick. Uh, Marshawn Williams' retirement, uh, the QB battle, and another question from readers. You solicited a question from readers. We're going to pick two here. Maybe we'll get to some others on future podcasts. Um, and also Frank Beamer serving as an assistant coach for the basketball team. We'll talk about that as well. Start with the Super Bowl just because it's uh, you know it has an expiration date if we don't talk about it right now. What did you think of that epic collapse? Or are you just, just going to fawn all over Brady about it? 
Uh, well, I mean, Brady made plays to make it happen, but it doesn't happen if Atlanta doesn't do A through Z in this order to blow the game. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. just it's just incredible to look at how many moments, and he, especially at the end where, what was it, first and 10 at the 22 with like four and a half minutes left, and somehow they lose 23 yards and end up punting and don't even get a field. Like, if you just run the ball three times in the line and kick a field goal, you win. And uh, I know it's boring, but uh, I'd rather be boring and win the Super Bowl than have some great exclamation point to a, a Super Bowl win. Uh, I just thought it was a colossal failure on Atlanta's part. And you know, credit New England for doing it because you have to go down and score the two touchdowns, get the two two-point conversions. Uh, I think in overtime it was sort of a fait accompli there. It was just – it's like, okay, this game's over. As soon as they get the ball, I don't see Atlanta trying to stop – being able to stop them at all. But, uh, you know, I think you saw the inexperience on the Atlanta sideline in terms of – uh, players knowing game situations and coaching is knowing how to coach in game situations like that, where uh, you don't need to be like, oh, we've been all aggressive all year. We need to throw the ball on third and one. It's like, no, you just need to run the ball. And if you don't get it, eat a bunch of clock, punt it, make them drive the length of the field. And uh, that's where I think Belichick really shined. And I think the Atlanta coaching staff didn't. Yeah. As I wrote on my blog entry the next day, you know, Football is a lot about compromise. They compromised a lot defensively early on. They let the little underneath patterns get caught, and then they swarmed to the football very, very much like those Ravens defenses did when they won Super Bowls. And they tackled really well, and then they weren't willing to compromise their their style when they had the lead. They didn't know how to play with the lead. It's funny because the day we got into Atlantic City was was Championship Sunday, and of course when the when the teams won, when Atlanta and New England won, there was a lot of discussion at the poker tables about who was going to win the Super Bowl. My brother ended up betting. My brother was touting Atlanta for you know two weeks, and I think a lot of people were. I was as well, but he he placed a bet with this uh, this other guy at the poker table who lives you know two hundred miles away. And uh, they agreed to PayPal each other the money if, uh, you know, regardless of who won. And this guy in, in the third quarter actually uh, emailed my brother and told him congratulations because my brother was in line for the victory there. Um, I'm assuming my brother has paid up. I was wondering if this guy was actually going to pay up, but I thought the congratulatory message indicated that he probably was going to. Oh, yeah, I would think so. I, I always think the funny thing in the aftermath of this, and it was such an incredible comeback, is people will, like, tweet out pictures of the probability chart yeah where it's like 99.5 percent for the falcons and then it shifts completely the other way to the patriots i saw way too many of those the day after it's like i get it it was an improbable comeback but then there's like the other backlash it like swings too far the other way where people are like throw these probability charts out it's like well no those <laughs> are like that math still applies like 99.5 percent means that five times out of a thousand they will come somebody will come back so it happens right uh so it's not like oh these stupid eggheads and their numbers don't know anything it's like it's, it's incredibly improbable that's how improbable the comeback it was but i think that's always one of the funny things afterwards is the inevitable it's like these numbers don't mean anything it's like well if you understand probability they do mean something right Something else that was kind of inevitable was that uh, Michael Vick and Shane Graham were pretty much done uh, with their football careers. Uh, they didn't. Neither one of them played last season, uh, so kind of there was, but there was no really official announcement until these past two weeks. I guess late last week was Vick's announcement. This week was uh, Shane's announcement. Your thoughts on them? Them both of those guys, you know, and their connection to the, some of the greatest times in hockey history. Yeah. I think 
I mean, this was obviously a long time coming. You're not going to play forever in the NFL. Uh, the fact that neither of them played last year, I, I think Vic even said that, uh, you know, when the Vikings had that opening early in the year when Bridgewater got hurt and they didn't, I don't think they even called him for that opening. He, he's like, well, that's probably about it at this point. And as a Vikings fan, I think I'd much rather would have seen them sign Michael Vick for uh, whatever league minimum it might have been to, to get him than to give up a first round draft pick for Sam Bradford and still miss the playoffs. Uh, but, uh, you know, th- this is, uh, you know, the last links to that 99 championship team, uh, sort of the, the halcyon days of Virginia Tech football when you look back at this stuff. And, uh, you know, I wrote the blog post on, on Tuesday because just people started sending me unsolicited at first. They just started sending me where they were uh, with the Shane Graham kick against West Virginia in 1999 to, to win that. I think it was a 44-yarder to, to win 22-20. Uh, it's just a couple people sent in stuff like, Oh, I remember that kick. I was at this place. Uh, and it got me to thinking, I'm like, is there a, a better moment in Virginia tech history of a, I was here when this happened type right. thing. Uh, and I, I don't know if there is one other than that. I think that might be the best one. And, you know, Vic had a huge hand in that with the, the run up the sideline where it's a tightrope run where he looked like he was going to go out of bounds, then stayed in bounds and, and set them up in field goal range. Then Graham had the kick and, uh, I just got you know dozens of responses about oh I was here and we were here we, I jumped up and I hit my head on this or you know people went crazy it was just the number of of uh, responses to that I think was amazing and it just kind of shows you a how invested people were uh, in that season and that team and b how much those memories stick with people over time because uh, you know they're recalling you know 18 years later exactly where they were at that moment or who they were with or what their initial gut reaction was like. And I don't think you do that with just anything in time. So uh, those guys obviously had long NFL careers of you know, varying success and in, in Vic's career. I, I don't think you'll ever see that again, where a guy sort of achieves the instant stardom that he did and seemed like he was destined for this great career and then completely derailed by dogfighting of all things. Right. I mean, as much as people still don't uh, cut him any slack for, being rehabilitated or facing any punishment. He went to federal prison for two years, Mm -hmm. which is more than a lot of, I mean, guys have killed people in the NFL either accidentally or or not, and and not gone to prison for that much time. Uh, I mean, that's just remarkable. And then they come back and, you know, he's a spokesman for animal uh, safety and and things like that. You know, I think he's rehabilitated, rehabilitated himself pretty well, even though some people probably will never get over that. Then Shane Graham's a career where, you know, he was with the Bengals for a number of years uh, then after that, he was kind of a nomad. It was just whatever team was was uh, available. I think he kicked for 10 different teams in the mm-hmm. NFL. He's almost one-third of the league. Uh, just kind of a remarkable, you know, compare and contrast those two careers that they both come to an end within a couple of days here. Yeah, I think anybody who's listen, listening to this right now has probably already seen your blog post because it's kind of the same audience. But if you haven't seen the blog post, check that out. It's it's really good. Uh, the, the reader's... The, the tweeters did a really good job of, of giving you their moments. Uh, you did a really good job of, of setting it up as well. And, you know, I, I talked to Shane. I put a little something on my blog today. Um, I talked to Shane Graham uh, two years ago or two and a half years ago at Saints uh, training camp uh, in West Virginia. And, of course, it was in West Virginia, so I asked him about the kick. And he said, yeah, he still hears from uh, Mountaineer fans, you know, who, who just haven't forgiven him for, for, for breaking their hearts. And he's like, hey, our hearts would have been a lot more broken had I missed it because we had a lot more uh, at stake there. And uh, But he's, I think he's, 
he told me then that he Houston is where he wants to sort of lay down his stakes. Obviously, he's a local kid. He played at Pulaski County High School. Um, so I think uh, long term he's probably going to he's probably going to live in, in Houston, even though he still considers uh, the New River Valley home. But he, I, he actually emailed or uh, Facebook messaged me. Oh, did he? Yesterday, and said he saw the post and he read it. And it says it's kind of amazing to see that many people uh, respond like that. He says from time to time, you know, random people will come up to him over the years to be like, "Oh, I remember this kick." And he said, but to see them all kind of in one spot like that uh, was kind of a unique thing. So. I was hoping, I was thinking maybe I could call him up and get him on a pot on the podcast sometime yeah. this offseason. He's got to talk to him for uh, a longer period of time. Maybe that's something we could try to do uh, in upcoming weeks here. But he did see it and he did read it and he thought it was kind of interesting to see, you know, special to see how many people still kind of hold that play so close to their hearts. Well, maybe we all have a moment in our lives where we can impact others in that way. And some, you know, I mean, just one moment where, I mean, I think that probably makes it easier to hang up your spikes when you do have moments like that. I mean, he had one in high school where he won a state tie or a state semifinal with a, a last second kick, kicking for the Cougars. And, you know, he had one in the NFL playoffs uh, in 2013 that uh, he remembered fondly. But I think, you know, the top of the list is, is that kick in Morgantown. And given, as you noted in your blog, given the venue, given the stakes, uh, just, there isn't, there isn't a bigger kick out there really to make. No, I'm trying to think what a comparable moment in your life would be. That time that you went on a 20-minute roll at the <laughs> casino. and Well, I have the Marshall McDougal moment. That's true. The six home runs I've given up. Uh, it's, a, it's an ignominious moment, but it's, Ooh, good word. it's, it's a famous moment. $10 word right there. And, and people still talk about it. Um, and I'm more than happy to, to talk about it with people. If uh, anybody's interested, here's Aaron's <laughs> here's phone number. Here's my cell number. Uh, that we're coming up on the 17th anniversary here, uh, this, this year in May. Uh, but no, it, it, you know, the 15 minutes of fame thing. I mean, obviously he, he played in the NFL, so he had a lot longer run than that. He played 15 years. To, what was it? 17 years, 15 years, 15 I think years. 15 seasons, 15 seasons. Is, is what I, I'd have to go back and look because yeah. there were some partial seasons there near the end where I think he just kind of got a call when somebody was hurt for a couple of weeks or something like yeah. that. But that's gotta be a tough lifestyle. I mean, that's one of the things I would want to ask him about is just what that lifestyle is like. And I mean, you're essentially living out of your suitcase, uh, you know, picking up and, and leaving to go somewhere every time that the phone rings when there's a job available. That's got to be a tough thing to do. And also every kick is a potential uh, fireable yeah, offense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mean, you know, you, 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 every time you line it up, if you hopefully you can put that out of your mind, but he knows as well as anybody that uh, you, you come and go uh, quite a bit in that business. And so uh, congratulations to him on a great career. Obviously congratulations to, to Vic on, on his uh, career as well and, and the things he's done to make his life uh, better uh, and make the make it better for people around him and animals around him too. Um, let's get to signing day because you know obviously it feels like an ages ago at this point. I know it, it does, and uh, I, I I worry a little bit about you know being a little outdated. But you have written a lot in the interim between the last time we met and and now. Give us, if you can, a synopsis. Like if somebody came up to you and said, "How did signing day go for Virginia Tech?" What would you say? I'd say it was a pretty good class. Uh, I think a lot of people were maybe disappointed that they didn't get a lot of those signing day announcements. Mm -hmm. uh, and the conclusion that they'd come to at that point is that this staff can't close, mm -hmm. which I think is kind of strange to me. I, I think they see the Taj K part flip and 
there were seven guys or so that announced on signing day that did not pick the Hokies. But uh, in January, they got eight commitments, including a stretch where uh, it was like a five-day stretch where they got uh, – or a, a week-long stretch where they got uh, Devin Hunter or Devon Hunter. I'm still not sure how to pronounce that. I've heard it both ways. I've heard him say it, Devon, and everybody else says Devin. So I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce that. Uh, Dylan Rivers, Taiwan Garbutt, all within a week span. And these are all you know top ten guys in the state. And this was like a week and a half before signing day. So if, if if those guys had just delayed their announcement another week and a half to signing day itself, and three top ten guys picked Virginia Tech on signing day itself, people would be jumping you know through hoops celebrating how great this was, uh, how good closers this, this staff is, and. You know, finishing the the class strong. So, I I don't quite understand the uh, conclusion or the narrative of all oh, these guys can't close because I think they closed pretty well. Uh, but I mean, that's a pretty good class they put together. Uh, some impact guys on defense, a lot of bodies on offense, which was sort of more of the earlier guys in the class that they got to commit. Uh, some versatile guys on offense. You get like Caleb Farley is a six three receiver who played quarterback in high school that. Uh, might do some return stuff. They got a couple tight ends. Uh, Drake DeUlius, I think is how you say his last name. Uh, Dalton Keene are, are sort of H-back types. Lasita Smith uh, is more of a blocking tight end. He's 270 pounds or 260, 270 in that range. So I think a lot of people thought he might go to offensive tackle, but it sounds like he'll stay at tight end just to be that blocking guy. Uh, I think they got a lot of receivers. Khalil Pimpleton, Sean Savoy, Hezekiah Grimsley are slot guys that – uh, it sounds like they think can play a lot of, uh, you know, do a lot of things in the slot and you know be ball carriers on jet sweeps, uh, sort of offer a, a kind of make you miss type element to this offense where I don't think they had a lot of those guys before. Uh, so they got a lot of those guys on the front end uh, offensively. Hendon Hooker, a quarterback who, who's here early. Uh, we'll talk about the quarterbacks a little bit later in the, in the podcast, but he's another guy that's here early that's going through stuff. And then later, you know, in the class, I think their biggest. Uh, or highest rated guys, at least Hunter, obviously uh, scout has him as a five-star guy, number seven guy in the country uh, could probably be an instant impact guy at safety and somewhere on this defense uh, in the secondary there. Dylan Rivers was a, a top 10 recruit in the state. It was a Penn state commit for the longest time. They got him to flip. He actually was committed to Penn state before Fuente was hired. Mm-hmm. And over the course of a year and a couple months, they got him to Virginia tech, uh, Taiwan Garbett, um, uh, Proctor, uh, uh, Nathan Proctor, I'm blanking on the first name there. Uh, a couple other defensive linemen they got. It was a big defensive line class. Zion DeBose, uh, I think that's how you pronounce his name, was a guy that signed a couple days after or announced a couple days after signing day. So uh, I think it was a good balanced class. And it was a pretty well-rated class. You know, it's not a top 10 class or anything like that. I was going like, to ask, what is the rating? Yeah. You know, it varies by those sites. I think you go by the the two four seven composite, which combines all the rankings together. They're twenty fifth, okay. Which is honestly about where Virginia Tech is every year. I think the two four seven specific uh, rankings has them sixteenth. It was the highest of all the sites, but you combine them all, and it's in the mid twenties, which is uh, sort of normal for Virginia Tech. Uh, but within that, there are classes that are much better and much worse based on how guys develop. But I think they needed that. I think they needed a big class because there was a lot of attrition last year. I think they needed a class that had some offensive playmakers. They got that. They, they needed to sort of uh, reclaim their spot in the state. And I think Hunter and a couple other guys they got did that. And 
just overall, I think for Fuente's first full class, a full, first full year of recruiting and signing the class, they did pretty well. Yeah, I don't have anything to add to that. I mean, I, I well, let's wait five years now and see uh, how the class turns out. I mean, we, we say all this stuff. The waiting game. We say all this stuff on signing day, but as you've you've seen stuff written about these classes, I mean, stuff that looks good on paper. I remember, yeah, I just did the thing with the 2012 class, looking back at it. I remember when that class signed. It was like that was going to be the class that turned things around. That was when Shane Beamer, Cornell Brown came onto the staff. You know, Drew Harris was the big running back signee. He never even got here. Never played a snap. Uh, in Division One football, I think he's at a D two school right now. Um, it, it's just amazing how you know twists and turns these recruiting classes can take over time. But you know, right now in the moment, it looks like a pretty good class. Uh, looks like it could have some impact, guys. And I know this isn't your job, but I mean, maybe, maybe you do know. Uh, you know how Virginia did rankings wise? I mean, where they were? I want to say they were in the fifty. They were like fifty sixth. Or okay. something like that. For some reason, that number jumps out. They were on the lower end of the ACC. I think they were down there with Boston College, Wake Forest. Not uh, getting a lot of Virginia guys, right? I don't think. I think they did not do very well in the state. Uh, it will be interesting to see what that's like. I mean, that was kind of the question with these two new coaching staffs coming in at these schools last year. Is, uh, neither of these staffs had really recruited in the state. And I think it was more so with Virginia that they had more turnover with the staff and didn't really keep as many guys from the previous staff. Although I know Marcus Haggins is still there. Right. Uh, is it, who else is on that staff that is local or has ties around Virginia? I'm trying to think. Uh, I'm not sure. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously Virginia Tech had Bud Foster, Charlie Wilde, Zon Burden, who had a really good uh, recruiting class this year. So they had some connections to the state. So I think that was always the question with Mendenhall and his, his staff is – you know, they come from the West Coast. They don't have a lot of guys, I think. Uh, I might be wrong on this, <laughs> saying all this stuff definitively, but I don't think they have maybe as many guys with connections to the state as Virginia Tech uh, retained on the staff. How are they going to do here, And especially compared to how Mike London had done in the 757 because he obviously had deep roots there and recruited really well. Uh, this first class probably isn't very encouraging for Cavaliers fans from that sense, but uh, you know, Mendenhall has recruited pretty well before and developed guys. Uh, I think he has an idea of what he's going after, and it'll be interesting to see if, if what they actually got this year turns into what he'd like to on the field. Well, I know we're going to talk a little bit about the schedule later, but I know ODU is on the schedule. Uh, are, is Tech competing against ODU for recruits, do you think? Is that – are they going after the same guys? Uh, a little bit. I mean, if, if it's a, a top-flight guy, it's not. that's not the competition. I mean, right. Devin Hunter was not – considering old dominion right uh, i think where you get sort of that competition there is for uh you know 20th 22nd 24th guys in the class further down the the, the pecking order of guys as you would rank them in the class where uh you know it's a two-star three-star guy could you go to virginia tech and maybe turn into something maybe develop into a starter there or do you go to old dominion where you're probably one of the top guys in the class or one of the guys that they would be banking on uh, to be a major player there. I think there's a, there was obviously that divide when it was, uh, you know, Old Dominion was an FCS team before they transitioned up a level. I think there's still that divide there with them in the Conference USA where it's going to be, uh, you know, do you want to play Power 5 football? Do you want to play Conference USA football? I think that's something that they're probably never going to be over, be able to overcome because that's just such a, a big disparity between the two. But – uh, you know, guy, you know, preferred walk-ons. I think that's another thing. You want to walk on and pay your own way at Tech, which obviously Virginia Tech has had some success with those guys. Or do you want to get a scholarship offered to ODU? I think a lot of guys would take the latter. 
Uh, so I think that's where you see some overlap between the classes. But if it's just head-to-head and all things are equal and Virginia Tech and ODU are going for the same guy, I, I don't see ODU winning any of those battles. Where did Virginia Tech slot in in the ACC in terms of uh, rankings? Uh, it varied. Uh, I think among the four sites, there were two that had them third, one was fourth, and one was fifth. Mm. And I'm talking about uh, Scout, Rivals, 247 Sports, and uh, ESPN. Those are the four. So it's Clemson, Florida State, what, UNC? Yeah, Miami and UNC are up there as well. Uh-huh. And uh, I think there's some disparity where, where Clemson's was. It was a really small class for Clemson. And some of those sites rank their uh, – they're signing classes differently where if you sign 25, that really helps you versus 16, where some just go strictly by the quality right. of the recruits that they get. So, I mean, honestly, it's about where they always finish in the ACC, too. I mean, they're always right in that tier around UNC, around Miami, maybe a little bit behind Miami because, you know, everybody always reveres the kind of recruits that the Hurricanes get, even though they haven't really been able to do much with it on the field in the last 10 years. Uh, I mean, you're always going to be behind Florida State. I think that's a given. Uh, you're probably always going to be behind Clemson if Clemson takes a full class. Uh, but right in that three to five, three to six range, I think that's where Virginia Tech makes its living. Did I read somewhere that Florida State had slipped a little bit uh, and then had kind of a resurgent year this year in terms of rankings? Had you heard that too? Or? I can't remember what they had in past years, but they're always in the top ten. Uh, I mean, if you want to consider slipping from going from, oh, the number one class in the country to number nine. Yeah. And I don't even know if that's how far they slipped, but I think this year they were sixth or something. Like they were way up there. I mean, you're, you're a marquee school with money in the state of Florida uh, that's won a national championship before and has some pretty good recruiters on your staff. You're going to pull a top ten class uh, almost without trying, I think. So uh, regardless of the circumstances, I think geography plays a huge uh, factor in where these top you know, blue chip recruits are. They're all down there in the southeast. Just look at a map. There's a sports on earth thing that I put in the Sunday links last week that shows uh, where the blue chip recruits are. They're all in the south. Sure. I mean, it just makes sense. They're a little more in into football down there, football year round. It's just sort of the culture of everything down there. Uh, so if your school is down, there's going to be a lot easier to get to those guys. Gotcha. Uh, Marshawn Williams, giving up football. Um, obviously the running back. Uh, tell us why and uh, what's next for him maybe if you know. Well, I don't think it was any surprise. I mean he's had three knee surgeries in three years. and It's not minor knee surgeries. It's you know ACL reconstruction type things. Uh, I think after this latest one, my first thought after that was that's probably it. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, three straight years to try to come back from that. That's a lot of work to come back from that. To do it once and to do it twice is impressive enough to get your back, get back in a you know playing condition and back to where you can get some carries and the coaches trust you. But then to do it a third time when you've already had it blown out twice before, three times before, that's tough. I mean, that's tough to just mentally keep coming back from that. Uh, so I think at a certain point, it just kind of dawns on these guys that, you know, what am I trying to come back for again? If it's just going to be another injury, another heartbreak situation. And uh, it, it's, you know, that's a, a year-long process of not playing in games and rehabbing and getting the knee stronger. And then they get out there and you make one cut the wrong way and all of a sudden it goes out on you again. Uh, that's got to be just an emotionally devastating thing to have happen. So I can totally understand uh, the situation where his knee just wasn't going to hold up. He's a bigger guy anyway as a running back. So those running backs take a toll. Those bigger running backs, I have to imagine, is you know more pressure on their leg. It's it's tougher for that to kind of come back and heal completely. 
Um, it's a tough situation because he got here and he was such a uh, sort of instant impact guy. Right. I mean, I remember that freshman year where he was a, one of the primary ball carriers, uh, scored a touchdown against Ohio State in that upset upset up in uh, Columbus. Uh, then he, he had the knee go out on in the Duke game, I think it was, late in the year. Uh, it's tough to look back and see these guys, how they kind of uh, you know struggle with injuries and can't really fulfill their promise that everybody thought they'd have when they get here. So uh, from the sounds of it, Marshawn is – takes it about as well as anybody can. Uh, I just sounds sound like a kind of uh, infectious personality, uh, upbeat guy, positive looking. Uh, he'll still be on scholarship. The NCAA has a nice thing where if a guy can't play anymore, he's still on scholarship, but that doesn't count against Virginia Tech's oh, that's numbers. Good. That's good. Uh, so that's sort of a common sense rule that benefits everybody, I think. Uh, from the sounds of it, and I don't know the details of this yet, I think he's still going to be involved with the football team somehow. Uh, not exactly sure how yet, but I, I know Fuente wanted to keep him around if he wanted to stay around, and I would imagine he would. I See, I'd be a horrible football coach because when guys came back from injury and I saw how hard they worked just to get back, I would be inclined to give them carries even if they weren't the best. You know, I, I'm just – I'm such a bleeding heart when it comes to stuff like that. But, I mean, for him to come back twice and then, you know, have it happen again, I mean, it's just – that's – <laughs> that's devastating, but I mean, I guess that that just goes to show you how how physical. I mean, we talked about it before on this podcast, especially especially at, at running backs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's almost. I mean, not to say that he would have gone pro early or anything like that, but I mean, the running. You look at the toll these running backs take, and even the ones that get to the NFL, how many miles they have on them in college. That's the the argument I feel like that could be had that could get past this three years out of high school before you have to go to the NFL. Like, I mean. Uh, Marcus Lattimore was never the same after devastating knee injury in college. And it's like, it's, it's almost immoral to force some of these guys to have to go to college for a couple of years and take the kind of beating that they do when you can look at somebody like Leonard Fournette or Marcus Lattimore and go, these guys could have gone after their freshman year very easily. Right. And it would not have been any sort of physical hardship for them in the NFL. Uh, they actually could have got paid some money before they suffered these injuries. I just, at some point, I feel like they have to revisit that rule because I, I just—I don't know how it stands up in court all the time. I'm not a, a labor law expert. I know it's collectively bargained and all that. But at a certain point, it seems like you're just denying some of these guys the opportunity in, in such a physical sport like this, especially at that position. Right, right. Well, the schedule was released, and I know this is a, a big deal to fans because you know a lot of fans go and pick and choose which games they're going to go to, road games and which home games. Obviously, you and I will be at every one of them regardless. Um, we knew there's a it, Boston trip this year. I know you don't want, like going to Boston though. Uh, I'm, it's getting better. You know, now that I have Google maps, I'm not as scared in big cities anymore. No, I, I don't feel like I'm going to walk. I like to walk, you know that. And I, I don't feel like I'm going to get lost anymore. Um, Fair I can enough. just find my way back. However, and what did you think was going to happen in Boston? Like you turned down the wrong street and this group of gangs, like, where do you think I, you're no, going? Come over here out of town. I've spent a lot of time in Baltimore, you know, just going to sporting events up there, but uh, I'm not scared of people. I, I, I'm just I'm more scared of getting lost. Of just like can't find my hotel and gotta ask somebody. And in the big city, people are mean. And they don't like rubes <laughs> like me. And uh, so that's more what it is. Now I can just click on my you know little app and it says, oh, you know, the courtyard is uh, take a right up here, and that's that's all I need. You're to like, know. let me just close my Pokemon Go <laughs> map and open up the other one, and this will lead me back to where I need to go. I'm done with Pokemon Go. That's 
that's sad. The last you saw the my last furious intense one. Where was that? Pittsburgh, Syracuse, Syracuse. <laughs> we were sitting there trying to eat at Dinosaur Barbecue, and you're involved in some fierce battle with some Pokemon. I like, was trying like, to like Aaron. Could you eat your meal? You're like one second. You're like tapping hard on the phone. I was trying to catch a rare one that I had not seen in Virginia, and. Actually, I think the waitress was trying to take our order. And yeah. You're like, once could you come back here in like 15 minutes? Yeah. I don't know how long those battles take. But. No, once you catch almost all, like you see, you start seeing all the same ones over and over again, and you're just like, okay, I'm done. I'm done with this. But it, it really was a fun game for a while for me. <laughs> um, we knew that it, we knew the tech was going to open uh, against West Virginia at FedEx Field on September 2nd. Obviously, almost was a Thursday night game. Yeah. They, they actually talked about moving it to a Thursday night, which really? would have been interesting, but. And still open the season with it? Uh, yes. Oh, it was sort of been one of those showcase games to open the season. Hmm. And I don't think the Thursday night slate is very good this year. Plus, that would have gotten it off the night. I think Florida plays Michigan and Alabama plays Florida State on that Saturday. So I mean, there's a great slate of games. Uh, might be tough to get a primetime game with this one. But as uh, it is... Alabama-Florida State. Huh? Yeah. As it is, it's on a Saturday still up at FedEx. And then Delaware at East Carolina, Old Dominion... Clemson. Obviously, you circle that Clemson game, a rematch of the ACC title game and the defending national champions coming to town. Uh, you think they could be 4-0 when they play Clemson? Do you think they can win those? I think they could be. I think West Virginia's coin flip game. Uh, I think they're replacing a quarterback as well. Uh, have that Florida transfer that came in there. His name is escaping me right now. Uh, you know, West Virginia was a pretty good team last year. I think they won 9 or 10 games, somewhere in that range. Uh, a lot of turnover with Virginia Tech to get West Virginia in the opener when it's you're breaking in a new quarterback, you have a lot of new pieces on offense. You kind of wonder how that's going to work uh, for the Hokies. Uh, I think it'll be an interesting game, certainly a rivalry game. I think both teams get up for that kind of thing. So uh, that that's a tough one to predict right now. I, I don't think I'd have a strong opinion one way or another, which is why I probably call it a coin flip. Well, road games include Boston College, uh, Miami, Georgia Tech, Virginia. Uh, in the ACC play, when you look at this just as a whole, I mean, do you think this stacks up as a more difficult schedule than last year's or comparable, or how do you feel about it? These things are always tough to say. I mean, you know, last year when we were going through the schedule. Pitt loss. Yeah, well, yeah, Pitt loss. Oh, at Notre Dame, that's a top 10 team. Right. And then by the end of the year, they're 4-8. and eight. Right. Uh, you know, t- Tennessee was correctly labeled as a tough game early in the season, but if you would have played that in November, you would have gone, uh, the team's not that good. Uh, funny, you know, we, we, we go through the games last year and I don't think anybody pegged Syracuse as a loss. Right. I don't think anybody pegged Georgia Tech or too many pegged Georgia Tech as a loss at home. Uh, so it's weird to do this so far in advance and say, oh, these are the tough games and these are the not tough ones. I will say that of the venues that they're going to on the road next year, Boston College, Miami, Georgia Tech, Virginia, none of those are really overbearing or overwhelming in terms of a, you know, you feel like you're at a real disadvantage going to that place. You're not playing at death Valley uh, at Clemson or uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other tough places in the ACC pit obviously has been a sort of a a stumbling block for them in the past until last year. Uh, So from that sense, it looks pretty manageable, but at the same time, and this is going to be a brand new team next year. And I just don't know how they, uh, you know, handle football, let alone how they handle the schedule. They had two Thursday night games last year, right? Back to back. Back to back. No okay. Thursdays this year. Everything's None on a Saturday. Oh, what do you think? What's the fan reaction to that? They don't well, like initially, that. Yes, it's the third time in the last five years they haven't had a home Thursday night game. 
And I remember that first year when Jim Weaver said, you know, it was a thank you to our fans and all the fans got upset. It's like, well, they didn't ask me about that. It's like, well, the more <laughs> more money inclined donors that uh, like coming to a Saturday games, those are the ones I think he was really talking about. Uh, that was an outrage back then when it happened. A couple years ago, it was met with less outrage. <laughs> you know, I think they, uh, still a couple people were like, oh, this is horrible. Students like the Thursday night game and a lot of fans do. And this year, I, I feel like it was sort of met with a yawn. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, that's not to say some people didn't really get upset about that because I think uh, a lot of fans look at that as sort of their birthright to play on Thursday night. You know, that's that's what Virginia Tech does. That's where it made its name. But I think more and more people are just uh, looking at the schedule and going, eh, you know, that's that's fine. More Saturday games in October is okay. And that was what Whit Babcock wanted. That was his – um, number one request, I think, to the ACC and the scheduling was to give them more uh, Saturday October games, and they have two plus the Clemson games. I think the last day of September, so that's essentially in that same ballpark. Uh, whereas last year they had that weird schedule where they went 47 days, I think it was, between home games, uh, none in October at home. So that's a that's a really weird schedule, and I think when you look at weather in Blacksburg, that's when you want to be at home uh, is during that you know. 50 degree weather, 60 degree weather uh, in October, where it really feels like football weather. Right. And you can be outside, you can tailgate all day. That's tough to do on a Thursday night when people are working and have to drive down and then probably have to go to work the next day. Uh, that's why I think more and more people don't really mind that there aren't Thursday night games on the schedule. I think there will still be in the future, uh, just not every single year like it was in the past. Coaches don't love them, right? No, it I mean, it's their schedule up. It and- screws up their schedule. It, if you're hosting the game, it, it sort of takes away a recruiting opportunity mm-hmm. because you, you can't really have too many official visits if guys have to travel a distance because you know kids have class the next day that they have to be there for. If it's, if it's not on the weekend, uh, it's tough to get back there. Some of them have games the next day, so it would be tough to do that for them anyway. Uh, you know, I, I know people on campus, uh, the administrators – uh, school people don't like it because it's it's that weird transition trying to get the parking lots cleared and you know do you have class that day do you shorten class that day I think it's just a a logistical nightmare from that sense but I mean they're still fun to do and it's still unique for Virginia Tech and it's something to kind of put them on the map but I think the more and more you look at some of the drawbacks with it I think some people look at it and go it's not the worst thing if it's not on the schedule. Well, I was just over at the arena, the hockey arena, before I came over here, and they're all excited because Frank's going to be there on Saturday dropping the puck for college night. They're going to wear orange Expanding and Expanding his repertoire of uh, sports here. We need to talk briefly about him being the assistant coach for Buzz Williams, the honorary assistant. Now, you, you hear that, and you think, well, he's just going to sit on the bench. I mean, he was in the huddles. He was in the uh, – I heard a funny story about this, and I'm not sure if I was even supposed to share this, but apparently they were in practice, right? Uh, shoot around in Charlottesville the day of the game, and Frank's on the bench. He's there, I guess it's early afternoon or whatever, for a night game. And Frank's phone rings, and <laughs> it's really, really loud because I guess Frank's uh, hearing isn't as great as it used to be. The, the, so the ringtone is really loud, and Frank picks up the phone's like, Hello? Hello, and like they're running this workout, and you can just see Frank there, just like talking. And of course, if there's anybody else except Frank Beamer, right. Buzz Williams is you know tearing paint off the walls uh, with this disruption. But it was you know, of course, and then but he was in the huddles. I mean, he was he was really into the game. Uh, I know he you know the competitor in Frank is always there 
I know he wanted to be a, a boon to them. And the idea was that nobody knows how to beat Virginia quite like Frank. Uh, unfortunately, the Hokies got drilled by like 25 points. I mean, it was the is that a, a black a is bat. that a black mark on Frank's <laughs> legacy? Is that his uh, debut in the assistant basketball coaching game? He, the team got blown out. Well, of course, Berman saw him in the tunnel afterwards and says, "Well, I guess your streak against Virginia is over." <laughs> Frank, Frank didn't really chortle at that too much. Yeah, I don't think he thought that. He was just that funny. Yeah, that's, uh, no, that's that's still intact. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, anyways, but yeah, Frank is uh, really. You know, branching out, doing a lot of different things. And beauty pageants, yeah. you know, hockey, Wait, what's basketball. Beauty pageant? He, like, gave a pregame or pre-pageant speech to the beauty pageant contestants. <laughs> he didn't judge it. I think initially it was reported that he was judging it. But that's why he didn't go to the Notre Dame game, because he had that engagement prior that uh, he was going to be at that thing. You know, milkshakes. And pa- I mean, this is the life. He's just yeah. branching out and... Dipping his toe in a little bit of everything here. Yeah, he sure is. He sure is. Okay, let's get to as we as we get close to the end of this podcast. Let's let's get to a couple of our reader questions. Um, we're gonna just pick two here. Uh, first, let's start with one from James Priatel. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, at James Priatel on Twitter, asks QB battle. Who you got? Make a prediction. That was more of a demand than a question. But yes. Uh, no, I said who you got? Who question you got? Mark. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, my pick is going to be boring right now because it's so far out that you just kind of go with the guy that you sort of know. And I'll say Josh Jackson just because he's the guy that has been here uh, in the system for a year. I know he's a redshirt freshman, but all of a sudden he's the uh, you know old man in the room in terms of experience uh, in, in the in Fuente's offense. Uh, AJ Bush got here. He's a junior college guy. They'll be here in the spring. He's I think he's technically the oldest of the quarterbacks, but still relatively new. Uh, in the system. Uh, Hendon Hooker is a, a true freshman who enrolled early. I think they really like his skills. Uh, I think he's 6'5", 212 pounds. So, you know, he's got to be uh, hilgardized. I don't know what they're calling it now. Uh, the, the offseason program, he needs to add some bulk. Let's put it up, put it that way. Uh, just with true freshmen coming in, it's such a, you know, just the transition from high school to college for anybody is a difficult transition. But then to throw on all the quarterback duties, on top of that, I think it's very rare that you see a true freshman come in and seize the reins right away and seize that job and succeed. I think Jackson has the right temperament and sort of the right skill set that, that Fuente is looking for. I mean, they, they want a guy that doesn't get too worked up, uh, you know, doesn't make mistakes that lead to other mistakes, uh, you know, protects the ball. That's a big thing. I think that's why he sort of popped up in the competition last August is because uh, he was pretty good at ball uh, or ball safety, ball uh, protection. Didn't throw a lot of picks. Uh, ran the plays that they wanted to, and he, you know, ran them pretty well. Uh, went to the right place with the ball on some of these uh, formations that they're doing. And uh, you know, we talked to him last year, and he seemed pretty mature for his age. I know he's a redshirt freshman, but you know, his dad was a coach, Fred Jackson, up at Michigan for a long time. Uh, he's been around quarterbacks for a while. I mean, he grew up. He, Tom Brady was up there. I think he's he's known about Tom Brady for a while. He's just been around football for a while. Uh, so I think that helps uh, in terms of maturity and understanding the game. And uh, I think, you know, one of the first things Fuente did when he was hired uh, that November was go fly out to see Josh Jackson to make sure he stayed in the class. I think he really likes Josh as a quarterback. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if he can go on the field this spring and, and kind of seize that spot. Yeah, I'm going with Jackson. I mean, what would you set the odds? Like three to five that he'll be the starter 
at least. What percentage would that be if you said uh, three, three to five? Three to five would mean you'd have to bet five dollars just to win three. I know, but isn't there a percentage that you can? Uh, I don't know how to convert that. Okay, whatever it is, yeah, I, yeah, I think it's a high. It's it'd great. Be like an eighty percent. Yeah, I, I yeah, I put it up around that much. I mean, this is somebody saying coming from somebody who's never seen AJ Bush on the field, so I don't know what. Uh, he's like as a player, but I, you know, I think just where Jackson was last year, and if he if he legitimately popped up in the quarterback race, uh, and was actually close enough to Gerard Evans last year to be you know be mentioned in August, if it wasn't some bit of gamesmanship by uh, Fuente to to light a fire under the veteran guys, that says something because Gerard Evans had a really really good year. Yeah, he was all right. Uh, so yeah, I, I I'm not saying he's going to be Gerard Evans next year, but I think he's got some skills that the coaches look at and they like quite a bit. Okay. Our second question comes from Trevor Mays, uh, at Trevor Mays 5 at on Twitter. Uh, breakout player of the year on offense and defense, not from the 2017 signees. Okay. So somebody well, who's well I wasn't going to pick any of the signees. I mean, maybe Devin Hunter might play. I don't think he'll be a breakout guy uh, next year. We'll, we'll see. Well, I mean, he's a pretty talented guy. Just I always wonder about those true freshmen coming in and playing right away, especially if they're not early enrollees. Uh you know, for me, I'll, I'll pick a couple defensive guys, and I'll say Tim Settle, and I think Trayvon Hill, and you know, they kind of they broke out at times last year. Uh, I think Settle played more and more as the season went on. Uh, was a factor late in those games, and you know, I think he had a big sack against Notre Dame near the end. Tripped up Deshaun Watson in the ACC championship game. You saw him more and more on the field uh, for a guy that got his weight down quite a bit. The three thirty probably can come down even a little bit more. Uh, you know, I think they expect him to start next year, and I think they expect him to be real load in the middle of that defense and a tough guy to move around. Uh, Trayvon Hill had some opportunities to start last year, would do some injuries. He played pretty well. I think he had one and a half sacks against Miami in that game where he started for Ken Canem. Um, just a fast guy off the edge. Uh, I think he's only going to get bigger and faster and stronger, obviously, but he seemed to sort of have that it factor as a pass rusher, and I think they sort of need somebody like that. Uh, those being the two newcomers out there, I'll, I'll go with them on defense. and I'll, I'll leave the offensive side to you. Yeah, I'm going with Jackson. I mean, I think he's going to win the job. And uh, anytime you're the quarterback, your starting quarterback, you've got a chance to be the breakout guy. And I think, you know, I guess C.J. Carroll, we talked off air briefly. I mean, C.J. Carroll probably doesn't even qualify as a potential breakout because he did quite a bit. Uh, he, he had 18, 19 catches yeah, he last year. he did some last year. So uh, I'll go with Jackson and just – Sort of stay consistent there. Well, I'll be curious to see some of those uh, uh, receivers that redshirted last year or didn't really play. Divine Diablo, he played a little bit, but you know Eric Kuma is another one. Samuel Denmark, Phil Patterson, those guys. Uh, I think with a full year to redshirt and the opportunities that are available at receiver, I think they could step in and, and play a pretty major role. There. That's a good point. I think all those receivers are candidates because you know we talked a lot about you know, well outside of the big three, who's it going to be? Well, even if it's even if you get some opportunities, you're not going to get that many because you had the big three. Uh, so uh, yeah, the, uh, somebody out of that group is going to is going to break. It's out. tough to pick one because we haven't really seen any of yeah. them. So yeah, leaving myself an out by choosing all of them and saying yeah, one of them might break out. A receiver. <laughs> uh, we like to end this thing with a prediction. We don't have any football to predict, but uh, the Hokies are playing Virginia on Sunday at home. Uh, the, the revenge opportunity after that Frank Beamer led fiasco in Charlottesville. Do you, do you think do you think the Hokies will win that basketball game? I don't. That's a big turnaround from a 26 point loss uh, to beat that same team. I, mean, I think they have a much better chance at home because I think they're just a better team at home. 
they still kind of feed off that. They're crowd. very good. I at mean, home. they're very good. They've they've laid a couple eggs on the road where they've lost by you know double digits, over twenty points a couple of those times. So uh, I don't know if I can read in too much of that uh, thing from last uh, outcome from last week. I don't think they will, just because I think Virginia is pretty good and it may be kind of hitting its stride right now. But I'll give them a much better chance of winning than I did, you know, last week. Up in I think they're going to win. I think they're going to win. I think so. Yeah, I mean, it's a similar thing happened last year where they were were outclassed in Charlottesville and won in Blacksburg. It was a tight game. I think it was a two point game or something. But uh, they're they're a different team in Blacksburg and that crowd. Of, that's a very tough arena. We've talked about it before. The arena is really uh, underrated in terms of uh, how much push it gives you as a, as a home team, and, and Virginia Tech feeds off of it. Okay, well, that's about all the time for this week, but I want to encourage you to check out Andy's blog. Uh, as that, I think that Shane Graham, Michael Vick post shows, I mean, even in the offseason, some of your best stuff, I think, comes out of there. Uh, during the week, so you'll still have you'll still be posting Virginia Tech football related stuff. I have launched a new blog. I'll plug that really quick. Uh, started last week. Um, so far, so good. Uh, check that out. It's, I, I, is that the McFarlane Journal? The is McFarlane Journal. Yeah, it's really brilliant, isn't it? Uh, no, we they wanted my name in it, so I just came up with that. I used to have the AMAC Journal or something like that, but it, it, we have completely cool. rebranded it. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I, you know I'm going to go heavy on Hokies whenever I have the opportunity. I, I don't like to duplicate anything that you're doing, but uh, that that is my first option. If I have opinions about what's going on with Virginia Tech, that's that's where I go first, and then go Virginia and NASCAR and everything else. So I like it because it just sort of sets your day. I, like here's everything to know going into the day, and you know and the old comment system that we had. There was always really good conversation and sort of debate that went on there, even though some of it kind of went off the rails at times, but. Uh, that's less so under our new website commenting policy with the Facebook comments and everything. I, I wish that we could get back to that where you could actually get some people discussing stuff. I'm hopeful that someday we will get that. I mean, I, it's still in the nascent stages, so people I think don't really know it's there, and, and that's my fault. I mean, I need to get it. needs to be up there consistently. It'll be up there every weekday by 10 with, with very few exceptions. Uh, and, I, and I'm glad you mentioned the future-looking thing because that's sort of what I want. I want a – I want it to be where you can click on it at four o'clock in the afternoon and it's still sort of fresh because it's not, here's what happened last night. You know, this, it's more about what's going to happen tonight, even what's on TV tonight, what what you can watch. So hopefully you can uh, check that out and, and maybe get a comment started. I mean, if we can get that community going again, like it once was, uh, that would be fantastic. But uh, anyway, that's, that's all we've got today and we'll get together next week again. Andy, yeah, if there's something to talk about, yeah. or we'll, we'll figure out ways to do it. Yeah, I mean, we're approaching spring practice, so we'll certainly have something before then. And uh, yeah, and hopefully we can just at least maybe, maybe it'll be every other week, but uh, we'll certainly populate the uh, the old podcast uh, queue with some more before uh, before they get kicked off in spring spring practice. Sounds good. All right, for Andy Bitter, this is Aaron McFarling. We'll catch you next time.